here we are. It's episode 424 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and the music that you're hearing right now is the song Zombie Surf. It is from Don Nadie Los Otros. They are a Puerto Rican surf band. This song is the first song on their two-song EP release, Zombie Surf slash Noche de Terror. Now, I do not know how to roll my R's, so my apologies. But check it out, Monster Kids. You can listen to this music over on their Bandcamp page. It's donnadielosotros.bandcamp.com. Or follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to see a picture of our friend Dan Day Jr. on the set of the new movie, House of the Gorgon, directed by friend of the show, Joshua Kennedy. Josh is a dynamo. The man doesn't know how to sleep. He makes movies nonstop. And House of the Gorgon is probably his biggest production to date. Okay, no, probably. It is his biggest production to date. Now, this episode will be going out on June 20th. That is the Thursday before the 2019 Summer Monster Bash, where the movie House of the Gorgon will be having its U.S. premiere. It's already had a couple of sneak previews overseas and has been well-received, but U.S. premiere happening at Monster Bash in Mars, Pennsylvania this weekend. And to get ready for that premiere, I have a recording with Dan Day Jr. Now, Dan is a longtime friend of the show. I've known him through Monster Bash, through the Monster Kid Radio groups online, and, well, he's a friend of Josh's. And he appeared in House of the Gorgon. So, this episode, you're going to hear about how the shoot went. Dan was there. Dan appears on screen. Dan has a scene with one of the Hammer legends. I'm not going to tell you who, because I want Dan to tell you. This conversation actually happened shortly after he got back from the shoot. He flew in, helped Josh out for a few days, and then flew out. So a couple of times in the conversation, I think I refer to things that were happening later this year, meaning 2018. This conversation happened last year. So just got to keep that in mind as we go through everything. Also, for whatever reason, Dan, we didn't play the Classic Five. Not entirely sure why, but uh, I've got a deck of cards with your name on it at Monster Bash. So yeah, we'll play there. Okay. Listeners, I think you're going to have a good time with this conversation with Dan. He's a good guy and man, so jealous. And I'm living vicariously through him. Also in this episode of Monster Kid Radio, the show wouldn't be complete without Kenny and his famous Monsters of Filmland segment. And Professor Frenzy, he's got another bedtime story. In fact, why don't we get to that bedtime story and then everything else right after this. to your blood because your blood is their life because your nightmare is their reality they are history's deadliest vampires creating the panic only one man can stop captain Cronus, vampire hunter with death at every doorway trembling in every heart now the terror must be challenged who lives to destroy the curse who duels to battle the undead? Her youth will pulse through your veins, my darling. Who dares to bleed the bloodthirsty? Yes, you bleed, my lord. At last, horror has met its match. 
Captain Cronus, Vampire Hunter, from Paramount Pictures, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Imagine the world around you is nothing but an illusion. Creatures of legend wage endless wars between shadow and light, but you never see it. Even now, dark forces threaten reality as we know it, but most people never know they exist. This is the world I walk in. I am called Byron, and these are my chronicles. The Byron Chronicles, available at ericbosbypresents.com iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else podcasts are available. I love the song of dripping blood. My name is Dracula. Yes, Dracula. AD 1972. I'm back from the dead. A blood-sucking creature. A soul in hell. I come forth from my grave from sunset to sunrise. Are you sure I'm not with you now? <coughs> Look around. Perhaps I'm in the same room with you. Or in the back seat of your car. <coughs> Dracula is alive and well and starring in Dracula, A.D. 1972. For lovers of the occult, Dracula, A.D. 1972. And on the same program for lovers of the macabre, Crescendo, from Warner Brothers, rated PG. Welcome to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you a story from EC Horror Comics. Today's story is Curse of the Full Moon from the Crypt of Terror number 17, the April-May issue from 1950. Crypt of Terror was the precursor of Tales from the Crypt. It was written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by the great Johnny Craig. So sit back, relax, and prepare for this dark and bloody tale. Rain falls on a foggy New York City, but not even the clouds can block the effects of the full moon. A frantic Ralph races over to his friend George's apartment. George asks Ralph to lay down and tell him what's bothering him. Ralph reminds George of their trip across Europe. First, they stopped in a Hungarian village. While hiking in the woods, Ralph was scratched by the branches of a strange-looking bush. He thought nothing of it until the next morning, when, speaking to some locals, they found that someone had been killed by an animal the night before. They also found that the bush Ralph had his encounter with was actually Wolfsbane. Anyone scratched by its branches would turn into a wolf on the full moon and kill. Upset, Ralph went back to his room and wondered if he was the killer. He searched his clothing and found bloodstains and dog hair. It was true. Ralph is a werewolf. 
Ralph and George left Hungary and went to Paris. They had a wonderful time full of wine, women, and song. But then, the morning after the next full moon, Ralph read the Parisian headlines. A woman had been killed by a wild animal. Ralph searched his belongings and found a bloody woman's shoe. Ralph insisted they leave Paris immediately for America, but because of booking delays, they only made it as far as London before the next full moon. In London, a bellboy in their hotel was mutilated. Ralph found the bellboy's blood-stained hat in his drawer. Now that they are back in New York, tonight the moon is again full and he's afraid he will kill again. Ralph ended his story and George assured him that people can't really turn into wolves. Lycanthropy is a form of insanity. Ralph asked if he was insane. George said no, he isn't insane either. The two looked out the window at the full moon in the night sky. George asked Ralph if he felt anything. Was he turning into a wolf? Ralph said no, but if he wasn't a werewolf, what about the bloody shoe and the bellboy's cap? George replied that all someone would need was access to Ralph's belongings so they could be planted. Like who, Ralph asked. Like me, George said. I'm the werewolf and I'm going to kill you. George pounced on Ralph and strangled him. Ralph's screams sliced through the clearing night as the moon shone down upon the city. The end. I hope you enjoyed that gruesome tale. This was a fun one. Not only are there plenty of panels showing imagined werewolves, we get the Eastern European flavor of the legend and the trips through the streets of Paris and London, all classic horror settings. The plot itself is similar to that of the Vault of Horror number 12 story, The Werewolf Legend. Someone thinks they're a werewolf, but they're being set up by the real bad guy. This one's a little different, and that's okay by me. One thing that was a bit confusing was that we don't actually see George turn into a wolf at the end. He's maybe just insane, and that's too bad. Also, was George scratched by Wolfsbane? Was the whole wolf business just a setup from the start? It's unclear, but again, who really cares? It's fun. Johnny Craig's art is terrific. George is shown with a pencil-thin mustache and blonde hair. Ralph often has a concerned and worried look on his face. Both wear suits and handsome overcoats, very upper crust, perfect for the era's horror tropes. If you're interested in a copy of Tales from the Crypt, the book can be purchased on Amazon and you can find a link to buy it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed the story. My name is Jerry Green and you can find me on my podcasts, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics, and Bat Books for Beginners, where we talk about historical Batman and Bat Family comics. You can also catch me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube, where you can find The Professor Frenzy Show and some exciting projects we have coming up. Stay tuned and thanks for listening. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy. See the top double thrill, double chill motion picture program of the year. Curse of the Werewolf in color. 
the harrowing story of the legendary half-man, half-wolf. His evil beast blood demanded he kill, kill, kill. Plus, the shadow of the cat, a shocking adventure into murder and psychotic fear. Two terrifying hits together. Don't miss them. Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. The Brides of Dracula. Never, never before has a motion picture revealed so much of the mystical, the unnatural. The Brides of Dracula. Out of the unknown darkness he comes. The handsomest, the most evil Dracula of them all. Bringing horror beyond human endurance to a fashionable girl's school. Who can resist him? as one by one he seeks out his fresh, innocent victims. Who will be next to know his kiss of death as one by one he lures young beauties into the timeless, bloodless realm of the undead? Beware of pity, for he feels none. Beware of love, for none can refuse him. Never has the struggle between good and evil been so shocking and the outcome so uncertain. Terror beyond telling in color. The Brides of Dracula. Hi, my name's Veronica Carlson, and you are listening to Monster Kid Radio. Hello, Monster Kid Radio heads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, Derek and his guests will be talking about Joshua Kennedy's newest movie, The House of the Gorgon. I thought we would see how that film's inspiration, Hammers the Gorgon, was covered in FM. We also see how the four Hammer stars that appear in Joshua's film were featured in FM. There is only a brief mention of the Gorgon in FM 94, in an article about movies with surprise endings. Here is the description. Beware, it's a spoiler. It was pretty obvious toward the end of the movie that the Gorgon, Hammer Films 1964, was also the bewitched heroine. While the she-monster was casting her spell of evil upon the hero, Christopher Lee crept up behind her. When he was close enough, he sliced off her head. Thus, horror of horrors, both the monster and the heroine died. A moment later, the girl's lover succumbed to the final curse and turned to stone. Chris alone survived. Christopher Neem's classic hammer film, Dracula AD 72, was featured in FM 97. His role was briefly mentioned in the synopsis. Nearly a century later, a descendant of the disciple, Christopher Neem, turns up in Chelsea to play a satanic Pied Piper to a group of young swingers, including Van Helsing's great-granddaughter, who lives with her grandfather, Cushing, an expert on the occult. 
Veronica Carlson is known for her role in two Hammer classics, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave and Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, both of which were featured in FM 59. The articles tell the plots of the two films with plenty of pictures, including four of the lovely Veronica with Christopher Lee's Dracula. There are no pictures of her from the Frankenstein film. Martine Beeswick's starring turn in Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde is featured in FM 94. There are five pictures of her in this preview article which covers a bit of the origin of the film as well as a synopsis. Under pictures of Martine wielding a knife is this caption. Martine Beeswick said, I had the time of my knife in this role. We hear, as a kid, she was quite a cut up. I wonder if she really said that. Sounds more like foray to me. Martine was briefly mentioned in an article of the ABCs of Monster Movies under B. Martine Beeswick is a cult queen, once seen never forgotten in Prehistoric Women and Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. A picture from Prehistoric Women is included. Caroline Monroe had an entire six-page article dedicated to her in FM 182 from April of 1982. She is on the cover and an interview of her is inside. It includes 13 photos of Caroline from movies and modeling. Here are some excerpts from the article. With her dark, flashing eyes, unearthly figure, and defiant pout, Caroline Monroe has enlivened many a film of fantasy and horror, earning her the unofficial and perhaps unwanted title of First Lady of Fantasy Films. Caroline has always had an interest in fantasy, but it is not through any conscious design on her part that she has become the field's reigning starlet. I had no plans, she said. When I was younger, I had no ambition, really. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It wasn't my burning ambition to be an actress. I was thinking of art school, designing clothes, fabrics. In 1971, the head of Hammer Films, Sir James Carreras, spotted Caroline on a billboard and immediately signed her to an acting contract, the only such agreement the economy-minded company has ever made. Her first assignment for Hammer was Dracula AD 1972, in which she fell victim to Christopher Lee's Count Dracula. The film also served to introduce Caroline to the peculiar rigors of making fantasy films. The scene in which she is buried after Dracula's fatal bite was filmed out of doors, and much care and time was taken to cover her in rubble. But on the set, she recalls, it started to rain. The crew all went off on a tea break, but since they'd spent so much effort on my makeup for the scene and the setup and so forth, they just stuck a paper bag over my head, left me in the rubble, and said, ta-ta! Caroline played the female lead in her next film for Hammer, Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. Her part as a gypsy girl is still her favorite of all the characters she has played. Why? Because the girl I played was the most like myself of all my roles. She was a gypsy. She lived with nature. She was uncomplicated in the sense that she knew exactly who she was. The article continues the conclusion with Caroline sharing about Golden Voyages Sinbad, The Spy Who Loved Me, At the Earth's Core, Star Crash, Maniac, and The Last Horror Film. The interview ends with these comments. And what of her professional future? I have it in my mind to try the stage in the not-too-distant future. I would like to see if I could do it, brave that challenge. If I have an ambition now, it's to get better at what I do. It's been rumored that Paula Graham Pictures is planning to do a Vampirella film. Is Caroline interested? I haven't been asked.
curse of the mummy's tomb. A bandage and bone monster stalking the cryptomaniacs who defiled its tomb of terror. And the Gorgon. A she-monster who turns living, screaming flesh into silent stone. It's a two-for-one monster bazaar. Two terrific terrors for the price of one. With the never-before-offered special free bonus. Black stamps. Of your favorite monsters for the first 10,000 people in line. It's the curse, the curse of the mummy's tomb and the gorgon. He said the gorgon. Both in petrifying color, you know. They will frighten you. Yeah. Mary, no. God, let go. I simply don't understand it. Of course. The sound is coming from the basement. It's all right. I've got you, Mr. Adam. No, no. Show me what? Gotta get away from those eyes. Get away. Get away. George, no. Are you attracted to the dark, fascinated by the dramatic, with a side of gruesome and a dash of poetic justice? If your happy place is a gloomy room at midnight, then you should be listening to the podcast, Twelve Chimes It's Midnight. Please join us, won't you, for plays of mystery, horror, and suspense. Find us and subscribe wherever you procure your podcasts. And remember, at midnight, anything can happen. Shock. After shock. After shock. After shock. Warning. After shock. The sexual transformation of a man into a woman will actually take place before your very eyes in Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. A man by day. A woman by night. The perfect disguise to indulge a lust for sex and violence. Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. An American International Pictures release in color rated PG. Was he a woman? Was she a man? Or, or were they it? both? We're done with the Monster Movie Madness Tournament 2019. And the results of that tournament will be announced at Monster Bash. You're going to hear that on next week's recording when Steve Turk and I actually spend a few minutes at the bash itself going over who took the tournament, who won. Was it Frankenstein or was it the original Godzilla film? We'll see. You'll have to stay tuned. In the meantime, though, there's another opportunity for you to make your voice heard, and that is with the 2019 Monster Rally Retro Awards. The ballot is currently open right now. Head over to tinyurl.com slash rallies2019. Guys, there are only 11 completed ballots as of this recording. Only 11? Come on, we can do better than that, right? Head over to tinyurl.com slash rallies2019 and let us know who you think the best actor, actress, movie, director, and monster were in the genre films of 1935, 45, and 55. The deadline for this ballot is July 11th, only one vote per person. And please spread the word. Let your friends know, because the more, the merrier. And of course, there will be a link to the ballot in the show notes. Dracula has risen from the grave. Boy, does he give a hickey. Twins of Evil and Hands of the Ripper. Double Evil Shock Hits with the most fearsome females in horror history. Twice the spine-chilling, heart-stopping terror. Twins of Evil and Hands of the Ripper. Rated R under 17, not admitted without parents.
Dr. Tongues, I had that shot. 7129 Northeast Fremont Street. Vintage goofiness from years gone by. Sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia. We specialize in things your mother threw away. And some she didn't. Dr. Tongues Toys. The two most terrific names in screen evil. Together in one shock show. Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. Your ticket entitles you to be frightened out of your wits at no extra charge. Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. In color, rated R. Listeners, I couldn't be there. Most of you, unless your name is Dan or Josh or Kat or, 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 you know, or or Mark. Yeah. You, You couldn't be there either, but. There was a movie being made earlier this year in Texas. Even though it was in Texas, it starred four people that we know from British cinema. And this guy, Dan Day Jr., friend of the show, been on the show before. How are you doing, man? Doing very well. And uh, I, I can't believe you put me in the same <laughs> league as, those, as the stars of this film. I, I had a very negligible part in this movie, but... I'm I'm there, so. Hey, man, you're the one I could get on the show to talk about it, so as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. This is my publicity tour for House of the Corkin. (laughs) Jimmy Fallon didn't want me, so. (laughs) Oh, wow. No, you're better than any of those guys, trust me. Oh, man. Okay, and see, that's why I asked you to come back to the show. So, um, (laughs) House of the Gorgon, I mean, we've talked about it here on the show. We've had Joshua Kennedy on the show uh, to talk about it, and, you know, I I talked about it on Facebook, and and a lot of listeners know about it. But for those of you who don't, Joshua Kennedy is a young filmmaker, and he loves the Hammer film, The Gorgon. If you watch any of his promo videos for the Indiegogo campaign, you will actually see a very young Josh on a stage uh, rocking some pretty cool chops, Yeah, doing his own version of the Gorgon. And uh, this past year, he produced The House of the Gorgon, uh, his own film. I I don't know, is this number 12, 13 for him in terms of films that he's put together? But man, he he put together a heck of a cast. Uh, Who was in the movie? Okay. Caroline Monroe, mm-hmm. Martine Beswick, Veronica Carlson, and Christopher Neem. And the lead female role, the ingenue, so to speak, is played by Georgina Dugdale, who is Caroline's daughter. And the lead male role is played by Mr. Joshua Kennedy himself, who actually kind of, I think, qualifies as a genre icon already in my <laughs> own mind. But just those four names, and one thing I'd like to point out real quick. This is not one of these things where they get somebody, a famous name, or somebody that has a cult name, and they just give them like a gag cameo. All four of these people have major roles in the film. They all have a chance to shine. They all interact with one another. This isn't like Dr. Fives Rises Again, where Peter Cushing shows up for 30 seconds, and, and that's it. I mean, they, they have legitimate roles in this film, very good roles, Excellent roles. I think probably some of the best roles they have had in their careers, honestly. Wow. I honestly think this is one of Veronica's best roles because of all the things she's able to do. I'll give you a brief description of the story. I'm not going to try to give away too much because I know Josh doesn't want to do that. Yeah, we don't want too many spoilers. But uh, before you do that, Dan, I want to say it was probably one of Veronica's best roles because she got to act with you, right? Well, yeah, yeah, of course. I just hope I didn't ruin her career. But, oh, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Basically, in a 
faraway European village named Karlstadt. A young woman by the name of Isabel Banning is preparing to marry a mysterious Dr. Julian Pritchard. And Dr. Pritchard is involved in an ancient terror. There's all sorts of mysterious goings-ons in Karlstadt. And Isabel and Julian Pritchard have to deal with this. Isabel's mother, Anna, who is played by Veronica Carlson, is involved. Uh, there are a pair of rather unique sisters that are played by Caroline Monroe and Martine Beswick. And the village priest, a troubled village priest in the English Gothic tradition, is Father Llewellyn, and he is played by Christopher Neem. And they are all involved in some rather strange and bizarre goings-on. And that's basically, I, I know it's a very generic description of the plot, but like I said, I don't want to really give away too much. But if, if you know the English Gothic cinema, you know, Hammer, that type of film, you, you will definitely recognize the tropes and, and what Josh is basically using. This isn't a sequel to The Gorgon. No. I would, the same category as the Hammer Mummy movies, they, they basically used a mummy in each different film, but each film was individual. They weren't connected with one another. So you could say, in a way, this is another Gorgon movie. If Hammer had made a Gorgon series, you could say that this was the next film in the in the Gorgon series, but it, it's not really any way connected with the first Gorgon. I've always liked the the character of, or the monster type, I suppose, of like the Medusa, the Gorgon character. I always mm -hmm. felt like, that's really cool, and boy, there should be more of those in the world. And I understand why there isn't, because, I mean, it's you're animating snakes on yeah. somebody's head. I mean, it's tough. And it, it doesn't have the immediate recognizability as, say, like a mummy or a Frankenstein or a vampire. I know there is a Gorgon in the movie. Uh, I know there are things with snakes involved. Uh, I've seen the snakes. Mitch Gonzalez, another friend of the show, made some snakes and, and sent them down. And there's a rather charming video online of, I think, two of the Hammer actresses uh, playing with them and <laughs> and Josh telling them all about it and all that. So, Sadly, I was not there the day that all of that was uh, going okay, on. Okay. So, so I, I, I missed that. So I'm, I'm definitely anticipating this film just like everybody else. So I, I, I definitely can't give you any spoilers on that because I wasn't around. But no. I was around for four days of shooting, and it, it is almost impossible for me to articulate to anyone who loves Hammer films what this was like. I mean, I was on the set of an actual film that starred Caroline Monroe, Martine Beswick, Veronica Carlson, Christopher Neem. It, it was amazing. Like I said, it's it's almost impossible for me to wrap around my head that I was there and this this actually happened. Once again, I, I have to thank Josh forever, I mean, for allowing me to be part of this. It, it, it was incredible. It was a real film. The, you know, film was being made. This wasn't some kind of a joke. This wasn't, oh, we'll get these hammer people together and we'll, you know... This will be fun, and I mean, it was fun. I mean, there were everybody had high spirits, but it wasn't. Th this isn't some sort of gag, like I said. This, this is a real, actual English Gothic film, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it because I'm a fan of this genre. And if if I had never met Josh, if I didn't even know who Josh was, but I knew that this film was being made and the stars in it and how they are used, I would definitely want to see this film. Now, you've met Veronica Carlson before. I mean, last Monster yes. Bash, you two hung yeah. out quite a bit. I've met, I've met her a couple times at Monster Bash. And you've met some of the others as well, right? Uh, Caroline and, yes, and Martine? Yes, I, I, the only one I had never met was Christopher Neem. Okay. 
And how was that? How was meeting uh, Mr. Neem? Because we always talk about like the Hammer actresses and the Hammer glamour, and, and that's, I mean, there's a reason for that. We always talk about them. Yeah, they're amazing, yeah. you yeah. know, talented women, charismatic, super friendly, beautiful. I mean, it's wonderful people. Yes. Uh, but yes. I've never had an opportunity to interact with any any of uh, on the male side of things. So, how was it meeting Christopher Neem? Chris, he's a very nice guy. He's very intense, and when he's acting, when he's on set, he needs to be by himself because that's just the way he prepares so a lot a lot of times he was gearing himself up and getting ready for the scenes so he he wasn't as chatty shall we say as, as the hammer ladies and then once again i don't want people to think oh he was standoffish which he wasn't that was just the way he kind of prepares for the role he took the role very very seriously which i i was impressed with i mean i assume that they all would but the way he went about it, the way he, he kind of helped Josh out, he would make suggestions. And it wasn't like, hey, kid, let's do things this way. Or No, that, that wasn't anything like it at all. Uh, the way he collaborated with Josh, the, the actor-director play, jo- Josh would always run a scene through. He'd block it. He'd rehearse it. Then he'd you know, take the different angles. And each time he would do a scene or each, each step of that process of shooting, Things would be added, or they'd say, "Well, this, this is going to work. Why don't we do this?" And it was it was very collaborative. Mm-hmm. And anyone on the set who had a suggestion, Josh would listen to. There was no hierarchy. Basically, there was no, well, you know, you can't say anything because you're just a guy visiting the set, or you, you know, you can't. There, there was nothing like that at all. It was incredibly friendly experience. You know, everybody is working together. Everybody has this common goal. Everybody knows that. You know, Josh didn't have a lot of money doing this, but everybody just wanted to pitch in and help. And it, it, it just re- kind of uh, reestablishes your faith in humanity when you, you see so many people <laughs> from so many different backgrounds working together. I mean, you, you know how it is, Derek. You go on the Internet for 30 seconds, you're going to be ticked off for the rest of the day. You just watch the news for 30 seconds and, and to see all these different people coming together and, and, and working on something positive. Mm-hmm. It, it was great. I mean, it, it was it was fantastic, and and I think when Josh goes on to bigger things, which he will, I think he's going to be spoiled because you know all all the Hammer ladies and and Christopher Neem just you know like I said it, it wasn't like oh here's this kid and he's making this monster movie. No, they treated him like a respected director. There was no condescension. There was no patronizing attitude. I mean, you'd, you'd think that these stars were working at Pinewood or Elstree. It, it was really amazing to see. From a film buff perspective, it, it, was, it was exhilarating to, to see that type of creative collaboration going on. It really was. Oh, man. You're killing me, man. <laughs> I, know. I feel like I'm I'm like bragging or showing off, which which I'm not. Trust me. But if you were a Hammer fan and you were involved in this, would you want to talk about it? Oh would yeah. Oh oh, he- oh yeah. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. No, I I hear and you. To man. go back to Chris, I, I really didn't get as much chance to talk to him. I actually sent him an email because Richard Clemenson of Little Shop of Horrors asked for some contact information for Chris because he wanted to ask him about something and he very kindly gave it and I went ahead and I actually sent Christopher Neiman an email and I said, look, you know, I was really impressed with how you work with Josh, how professional you were and how you went out of your way to, you know, make this, as, you know, the best thing possible. So Very cool. Definitely, he's an actor's actor. He was incredibly great as, as Father Llewellyn. He brought a lot of passion and energy to the role 
And when you see someone who has been an actor for like years and years and years, and he's, you know, worked on stage and, you know, Shakespeare and on the English theater and to see how somebody prepares like that and how they take themselves seriously, even in this situation where a lot of people would say, Oh, you know, this is kind of a joke. And to see how he did it like that is, is it's fascinating. So the movie began production on a Monday morning. I didn't show up till Monday night. So my first day there was on a Tuesday. And, you know, when I finally get there, when I finally found the place, actually, what I need to do is actually tell people what the place was. Yeah. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. It's the La Antigua Revilla Banquet Center in Edinburgh, Texas. And, no, this was a banquet center. And, basically, it became the Bray Studios for Joshua Kennedy. And the banquet center had a warehouse storage facility at one end of it, and it had all these different bits and pieces of furniture and knickknacks because Edinburgh is not that far away from the Mexican border. So they have a lot of fiestas. They have a lot of, you know, Mexican holiday events that they hold at the center. Okay. So they have all these things there for like parties and Josh was able to use that for the film. And he turned different parts of the banquet center into various sets. And once again, the, the creativity of this guy you know, because when you get there and when you see what what he's doing and and how he's using this room and how he's using this alcove and, and how he's using this wall, just amazed at the creativity and how he was able to take all of that. You know, most people would say, well, you got is a banquet center in Texas. You know, what do you how are you going to turn that into a a European location, you know, an English Gothic location? Yet, yet he did it. And the way he did it was just it's almost hard to explain because you you would have to be there and see how he took what most people would be considered a handicap, and he took it and 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 used it to his advantage. I mean, once again, you know, he he has this gift, this this really creative gift. But anyway, to go back, when I finally did get there, Josh takes me to the main dining hall, which is almost kind of like a pseudo Bernard Robinson design. <laughs> you know, you've got the staircases, you've got all these portraits. And all these portraits are based on portraits that were used in famous classic horror films. There's a facsimile of the portrait of Vincent Price from The Haunted Palace. There's a facsimile of the portrait of Peter Cushing from Fear in the Night. It, and, you know, it's like, it's like an all-star wall of portraits of, of classic horror film stars. And then, you know, he takes me to the makeup room, and, oh, there's Caroline, there's Martine, there's Veronica. So, like, within five minutes, I'm in Hammer Heaven, you know? It's like, jeez. <laughs> One of the uh, portraits on the wall was actually a portrait of Dracula that we saw in Dracula AD 2015. So it was, it was cool to see that kind of thrown in there as well. Uh -huh. you know, and, and listeners, if you haven't seen Dracula AD 2015, it's a YouTube yeah, exclusive. Yeah. It's the only place you can see it. And uh, uh -huh. you need to check it out. Highly recommend it. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. And, and, and the Hammer Ladies, I mean, good goodness gracious. I mean, these are like the nicest people you could meet. Just absolutely wonderful. I mean, just these lovely English voices. You know, you come in, oh, good morning, Dan. How are you? Oh, how lovely to see you. You know, I mean, and that's just the way they are. Right. You know, Veronica Carlson is literally the most gracious woman I've ever met in my entire life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've always had a crush on her. But after that <laughs> week, it's like, if she told me to jump off the cliff, I'd say, well, okay, how high do you want the cliff to be? Yeah. You know, it's... <laughs> I had lunch with Veronica Carlson, okay? I mean, come on. <laughs> now, at last year's Monster Bash, she was one of the guests. And, and I can attest to this. I haven't 
you know, obviously I didn't make a movie with her or anything like that, but uh, I talked to her several times over the course of the bash and several other times when I was in the lobby of the hotel just hanging out with people playing the Classic yeah. Five and just chatting. You could look over and there's Veronica till like midnight, one in the morning, holding court, just having a great time being friendly to anybody who comes up. It was amazing. And, you know, I, I haven't told this story publicly and I don't, I don't know if, well, okay, I'm going to share it anyway. Um, I got a phone call Monday morning from Joshua, from the set, from uh, breakfast, from their cast breakfast. And and I was telling Dan before we started recording, I, I was worried there was a problem because I knew Joshua was starting production and I, I knew you know he was going to be his head down and I wasn't going to talk to him for about a week or so because I knew his head's going to be in the game making his movie and that's it. So yeah. I get this phone call from him. I wasn't expecting to hear from him. It's six in the morning my time and it's like, hello? It's like, hey man, how's it going? I'm like, well, that's cool. I'm, I'm doing okay. How are you? How's the movie? And he immediately put Caroline Monroe on the phone just to chat. Just to, <laughs> and she was so warm and so friendly. And I'm trying my best not to fanboy out all over, all over this, you know. <laughs> um, but she oh, was just yeah, so I nice. Mean, and how are you? How long have you known Josh? Where do you live? You know, have you ever met him in person? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we've been friends for a few years now. And, you know, and yeah, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, that's wonderful. My daughter. You know, it's like, that's, that's great. Uh, and then he put Martine Beswick on the phone as well. And. You know, she was also super, super cool and friendly and warm. And I'm thinking, okay, if this is just them hanging out before they start production, man, he is in for an incredible time. And it sounds like oh, you were yeah. too once I, you got there. I, I mean, you know, Caroline is just an absolute sweetheart. Mm -hmm. her, her daughters were there. You know, Tammy, uh, Iona, her, actually her youngest daughter wasn't really around too much because she was in Austin, I think, for like a music festival. But I mean, Georgina, I mean, all these... Uh, and obviously, these women are going to be beautiful because, I mean, there's those Caroline Monroe's daughters. But, but, oh, man. You know, absolute sweetheart. Martine, she just brings this zest and vitality to anything she does. She's, she's just totally Martine at all times. Mm -hmm. And she's funny and she's she can be outlandish at times, but it, you, you love it because it, there's no phoniness about it. That That's just the way she is. And, you know, Veronica is just, you know, like I said, just absolutely gracious. She's almost like she's almost like royalty herself, Veronica is. I mean, real, you know, just that type of English background, that that, that kind of presence. Uh, yeah, being around these ladies and, and being on a first-name basis with these ladies, I mean, you know, I grew up in the 1980s watching Hammer movies on Svengoolie, and of course... You know, when you're a teenager and you, and you see these you know, these these ladies in the Hammer films, it's like, you know, goodness gracious, you're kind of like spoiled for life. And then to to meet them in real life and to interact with them in in just just an ordinary way, because you know you're talking about you know not trying to be a fanboy, just talking to them on a phone. Trust me, that that was pretty hard to do being around them every single day. You had to like put it in your mind that okay. There's Caroline sitting over there eating lunch. There's Martine, you know. There, there's Veronica looking at her smartphone. I mean, anybody else would just be like, you'd be just be so taken by that, you wouldn't be able to function. I had to like really tamp down on my fanboy tendencies. <laughs> you know, it, you, you couldn't, you couldn't just because this, there, there's a film going on, and they're they're acting in this film, and you have to give them their space and their time because they're, you know, they're preparing. You can't just go up to them every two seconds and say, what was Peter Cushing like? Or what, you know, in that one scene in, in Horror Frankenstein, what were you? Yeah, you, you, you can't do that. No. So I, 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 I didn't. You know, like I said, I spent more time talking to the Hammer ladies than Christopher Neem because he, you know, he was you know, doing his thing. But if anything, 
these ladies, especially Veronica, they ask me more questions than I ask of them. So. And then was it Tuesday morning you just hit the ground running? Yeah, yeah, basically. And I guess the best way I could describe my my functions on the film, I was basically kind of a key grip. Okay. You know, Mark, Mark Holmes and I were kind of like, uh, oh, there's those goofy guys standing around. Get them, you know. <laughs> You know, we we moved lights, I I held lights. There's a lot of scenes where I'm there, but I'm not in the shot because I'm like holding a light or I'm, you know, holding back a curtain. Or I remember one scene, uh, Josh and Georgina are going through a door and the door supposedly leads outside. So I was actually holding up a plant and holding it up at a certain angle to make it look like when the door is open that it's outside, which which is, as you know, a very old... Hammer Universal, you know, an old film trick. <laughs> awesome. and, and that was just part of, of the creative process that uh, Josh did. For example, there's a very ornate fountain out front of the main entrance to the banquet hall. And what Josh did, he kind of dressed that up with like little food carts to make it look like the Karlstadt train station. You know, he's he's got the camera shooting toward the banquet hall. You You obviously don't see train tracks or a train. I, I think they forgot to bring the train over that day. So, you know, he had to like work around that. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, he's, he's shooting toward the fountain and obviously he's going to put, you know, Foley effects in and train effects. But yeah, that's the Carlstadt train station. Oh, that, that reminds me of something else that I have to tell you. Yeah. This best describes what type of person Veronica Carlson is. Okay. The train station sequence, Josh S. Mark Holmes and me, and I think a couple other people, to stand in the background and make it look like, you know, this is an actual train station. There, there's people milling about. Sure. So I'm I'm sitting there. Josh told me, we'll, we'll just sit there. And I said, do you want me to, like, watch what the other actors are doing? He said, no, 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 just, just sit there. I said, okay. So I'm sitting there. I'm way in the background. And Josh is setting up the shot. He's blocking it, you know. And Veronica was going to be in the shot. So Veronica, you know, she was getting ready and getting in her little costume. You know, she comes out and she walks by me. And I'm like, like I said, I'm way in the back of the shot. And she just happens to glance around and she sees me. And she's like, oh, oh, Dan, I, I didn't see you sitting there. I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. How, how are you today? How are you? I, I, I apologize for not seeing you. I'm thinking she's getting ready to do a shot, and she she goes out of her way to like acknowledge me, <laughs> like. And I, I said, "No, no, Veronica, that's fine. I'm I'm sure you have like more important things to worry about." She would do that for anybody. It wasn't just me. Trust oh, me. Oh sure, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That just totally sums up. You know, I mean, when Veronica Carlson goes out of her way you know, to acknowledge you like that. I mean, come on. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. If you ever have a chance to meet her at a convention, do so. She's wonderful. She's just such a yeah, nice, yeah. nice woman and willing to give you her time and just fantastic. And okay. So Tuesday morning, you report to set. Now you said your primary function was to just kind of, well, it's a low budget movie. It's guerrilla filmmaking. So whoever's not in front of the yeah. camera is doing something behind the camera. You know, there's always something going on. You yeah. actually appeared on screen, though. When, when did you shoot? Was it first thing Tuesday, or did you kind of get eased into the whole thing? Or Thursday was the day I had to put on my uh, my villager costume as, as Marn. I actually do have a name. If you actually go to IMDb and look up House of the Gorgon, I'm actually on there <laughs> as, as Marn. And Marn, as in Marn Maitland. Marn Maitland, of course, was the, I believe, was an Anglo-Indian actor. And he was in The Reptile. He was in tons of Hammer films. And Marn Maitland is kind of a running joke. One of the many running jokes between Josh and I. (laughs) So that's why he gave me the name of Marn. 
I have my villager costume on and, and the train sequence, we shot that early in the morning. And then there was a tavern sequence. And that was in a room at one of the end of the banquet center. They, they made it into like a little typical hammer type tavern. You know, you've got all the suspicious villagers sitting around and you've got the bar and, and the father Llewellyn goes in there because he drinking because he's lost his faith, you know, that type of thing. And they actually brought in a little bust of Michael Ripper and he's sitting on the bar. And I believe you, you will be able to see it oh, in the wow. film, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, I have a scene with Veronica Carlson. I I actually exchanged dialogue with Veronica Carlson, which is just I mean, come on. I just, How nerve wracking was that? You know, when I when I was thinking about it, like I when I'd be back at the hotel and I shared the hotel room with Mark Holmes. When I was thinking about it, or when I'd be driving out to the banquet center from the hotel. I was kind of worried about it, but once you get on set and the way Josh handles everything, and and this is the other thing is, uh, I I know I I constantly go overboard in praising Josh. Well, what I'm saying is is all honesty. Mm-hmm. Uh, for somebody as young as he is, you know, the way he handled everything, I, you know, he's he's the producer, he's the director, he's the writer, he's he's playing one of the leading roles, and everything that dealt with this production had to go through him. And he's doing it in one week, and he's working with you know some of the greatest icons in English Gothic history, and and yet he, uh, you know, he's got everything down. He he knows what he needs to get. He he knows what he has to do, but at the same time, he's flexible enough. You know, he's he's not rigid. He he knows what to get and and work other things into it to where you know eventually the outcome is going to be what he wants. But he can allow people to make suggestions and make, you know, change a little details on it. You know, he, he handled everything superbly. I mean, well, I was going to say he handled it like, you know, he's been making movies for, and, and he has been making movies all his life, you know, technically. So, <laughs> but no, I, I wasn't really, you, you'd think I'd be nervous, but I mean, once I sat down and started doing it, the one problem I had I had to give Veronica a dirty look because I'm the suspicious villager and, you know, Veronica and her daughter, Isabel, they're coming into it's It's one of the, you know, in the English Gothic tradition, oh, there's a newcomer in the village, you know, that type of thing. I'm sitting here trying to give Veronica a dirty look and, <laughs> and she's like the most gracious lady I've ever met. If I have any acting talent at all, that's probably what I had to use it on was to make it make it seem like I was like suspicious and angry over. <laughs> but as for being nervous, honestly, no. And I think a lot of it is because of Veronica and because, you know, the type of person she is, she didn't do anything to make you feel nervous. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, was, it was basically kind of like a family, you know, uh, I, you know, I know Josh and uh, he's one of my best friends and I got to know everybody there basically. There wasn't really that type of, you know, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm with Veronica Carlson. I think once I got home and it, and that's when it started to hit me, it's like, did I just do that? <laughs> did I just experience what I experienced? <laughs> Were most of your scenes just kind of background work and then with a few with Veronica, or did you actually get to appear on camera with Caroline and Martine as well? Didn't get to appear with Caroline and Martine. I, I can't really, uh, discuss their roles because I give up way too much of the film. And and honestly, when you're talking about time spent with any of the Hammer people, I spent most of it with Veronica because, you know, I did that scene with her. 
And Caroline and Martine, their costumes were a bit more elaborate, so they spent a lot more time, you know, in the makeup room and getting ready. And and the one day, unfortunately, like the last day, Friday, they they actually had the day off. But I I did get to drive Caroline and Martine back to their hotel once, which, (laughs) you know... That, that that in itself, I mean, come on, you know, you're, you're driving Caroline Monroe and Martine Peswick to their hotel. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. Oh, and and there is there is a scene. It's a funeral scene. I'm standing next to Christopher Neems. So. Oh, okay, okay. Well, you know, that's yeah. something. That's something. <laughs> yeah. No. Hey. <laughs> Any. I mean, just look. Even if I wasn't on camera, I mean, just being there and, and just experiencing all of that. It, it's just. I, obviously, I've never been into Bray Studios. I've never been on the set of a Hammer film or any film. And, you know, to grow up watching all these movies and, and knowing them the way I do and and knowing all these performers and, and being there on the set is it, just, you know, it's, like I said, it's almost impossible to articulate. You were there for a few days. You had yeah. to leave. What? I think you were telling me you left on Friday. Yeah, I actually left early Saturday morning, like three oh, thirty in the morning. Well, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, four four days of shooting, and they they were very full days. I mean, once Josh gets going, he was up on a hard deadline. Basically, uh, I think everybody, all the the Hammer people, had to leave on a Sunday. So, like I said, everything is just totally organized from his point of view. He had everything storyboarded. He he knew what he you know, like I said, he knew what he needed to get every at every day. He he had the overall plan inside of his head, and he he did it. I mean, and I honestly don't think that even now or whenever you're going to uh, broadcast this, I don't think people really understand what he pulled off because there's so many Hammer veterans out there. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, well, if a woman's a certain age, you know, and and, 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 and to me, that's ridiculous. I mean, you've got all these people out here. Some of these people are icons. Let's use them. You know, they're willing to work. They're totally enthusiastic about working. The, you know, Caroline, Veronica, Martine, Christopher Neem, they all love Josh. They all knew what Josh was trying to do. They just totally went with it. The fact that Josh was able to bring all these people together and he didn't have a lot of money. This wasn't like a fantastic, uh, exotic location. I'm not trying to disparage Edinburgh, Texas, but, you know, it wasn't, you know, some like James Bond type of location. And yet he was able to bring them out there and make this film in a week. I mean, it's, come on, you know. I mean, <laughs> you hear all these big-budget directors, and I'm not going to name any names. The people who listen to the Monster Kid Radio can probably understand who I'm referring to. You, you know, these people are interviewed and they say, oh, I love Hammer and I grew up watching Hammer. And I'm so inspired by Hammer. And whenever one of these guys says that, I think to myself, well, okay, you've got all these Hammer people. Yes, Cushing and Lee are no longer around. But you've got all these people, there's plenty of Hammer veterans still out there. Why don't you put them in your films? And they never do. Or they get some sort of cameo somewhere, and it's, it's like kind of like a joke, or it's like a self-reflective cameo. And Josh gave all of these people real roles. He gave them a chance to showcase their talents. And th- this isn't some sort of gag. I mean, he did something that these big-budget directors, these guys that supposedly are monster kids themselves, were not able to do. And Josh deserves all the credit in the world for that. 
It's pretty phenomenal. I think, especially when you think about Hammer, like you said, you know, the big guns, you know, the big, the big names, Cushing Lee, they're no longer with us, yeah. that sort of thing. But if you start yeah. looking, you know, especially late 60s onward, you mean to late 60s onward, you're, you're going to find people that worked on Hammer films that are still with us and still willing to work. And I know it's not just a matter of calling up and saying, hey, Mr. Neem, you want to be in my movie? Joshua has worked really hard over the years to develop relationships and real friendships. And if you ask him a marriage with <laughs> some of these people. Um, <laughs> well, well, that's the other thing is that these people wouldn't just work for anybody. I mean, it, once again, it goes back to Josh's positivity, his enthusiasm, his, his professionalism, just the way he carries himself. I, I've done this on the internet. I've done this on your show the last time I was on there. You know, oh, he just goes on and on about Joshua Kennedy. Well, this is because I have to. I mean, I'm just <laughs> – these people, they totally get what Josh was trying to do. And they totally bought into it, and they allowed it to happen. And once again, it, it comes from him. I, I'm sure there's probably a lot of uh, independent filmmakers out there listening to this, like, well, what, what makes Josh Kennedy so special? Well, he does have that special quality. You know, you're, you're not going to get these type of performers to go down – for that type of film, just, just to have something to do, you know, it, it goes back to him. And, you know, why was he able to do this in a week? Why was he able to get people like Mitch Gonzalez and, and all these other folks? And that that's him. That's, that's his whole attitude, his spirit. And that is definitely going to help him later on when he does go on to bigger things. You, no matter how talented or creative you are, when you're making a film or any type of film product, you have to work with other people. You can't do it all by yourself. And there's a lot of creative talent of people that, you know, you, I'm sure you know that they're just not good or not comfortable with working with other people. And, and Josh can work with anybody. I mean, yes, he's he's very young. He's in his young 20s. Uh, Mar Martin said that he has an old soul. And I, I think that perfectly describes Josh. If you put Josh down in the middle of Brazil somewhere with cannibals, he could probably figure out how to make a movie with him. That's just the type of kid he is, you know? <laughs> I, I am very impressed with, with Josh. Um, and, and I don't want this to turn into just like, oh, we love John. You know, I mean, yes, Dan and I are, are core members of the Joshua Kennedy Appreciation Society, you know? I'm an unofficial employee of Gooey Films. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the guy. And one of these days, I probably will be working for him. Literally, so I, I think that would be an amazing thing if if so many of us could come together. And this is one of the things that I love about, and I've talked about this before. Uh, the Monster Kid community is that mm -hmm. when one of us succeeds, we all kind of get to succeed and live vicariously through them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know how it was during the first wave of Monster Kids, but what I'm finding now is that. Well, like I said, Joshua called me Monday morning. He got Dan to come in Monday night to start working on his movie. We got Mitch Gonzalez, who is a special effects artist that normally works with St. Euphoria Films uh, with Christopher Mim and company uh, up in you know the Minneapolis area. And yeah. he's sending props down to Texas. I mean, it's it's such a collaborative thing, even if you're not there. And to hear the stories about what happened and, and see the pictures on Facebook and on social media, uh, to get the phone calls, to talk to people who were there, it's amazing to know that basically a modern-day Hammer film was shot in a smallish town in Texas. Exactly. It was, was shot in a banquet center. And look at the people that are in it. 
this is historic. I mean, uh, Martine, Caroline, Veronica, Christopher Neem, they've never been in a film together. I mean, Caroline and Christopher Neem have, obviously, Dracula 1972. But, you know, the, the four of them together, for monster kids, that's, that, that's like a huge thing. It, it has to be a huge thing. And there's this great shot. If you go to the House of the Gorgon Facebook page, and I suggest everybody does that hasn't, there, there's all sorts of photos. I took photos. I actually didn't take as much photos as I wanted to because, number one, I had to be ready in case I needed to, you know, to move something or do something. And the other thing is, once again, you, you don't want to be constantly snapping photos because that goes back to the fanboy thing. You, you know, you there, there's people like Rosa who is doing the lighting, and and Rosa, wonderful, wonderfully talented young woman. She's younger than Josh, and she's doing all this stuff with colored gels. This is Mario Bava, Jack Asher type of thing. And I told Josh, I said, Josh, does she know about Mario Bava? Does she know about, you know, that? And Josh said, oh, no. And Josh goes, well, I, I gave her some Hammer films to kind of look at. But I mean, she, you'd swear that, that she had been watching classic horror films every single day because some of the lighting effects here are just, you know, absolutely fantastic. And they look great on the set. And you know, of course, when you're seeing something as it's being filmed, it's going to look very different when you see it on film. Just from what I saw, I mean, the, the lighting, and of course the lighting is very, very important in these things. And it, it's real color. I mean, Josh has mentioned this on your show, how you know he loves to use color. The, you know, this whole desaturated color scheme, which everybody does now, it, it just drives him nuts. Josh is very much... You know, this goes back to his old soul mentality. He, you know, when you go see a movie in color, it's supposed to be in color. He and Rosa just took that and ran with it. And there's just so many scenes where the, the color effects are just, like I said, I really want to see this movie. From what I saw off at a distance, from what little part that I was involved in it, and I, I don't want to give away, you know, too much because I want everybody to see it cold, basically, you know, without too much knowledge of what is involved in the story, but I mean, all the classic English Gothic elements are there. And this goes back once again to Josh. He knows the genre. He loves the genre. He isn't sending it up. He isn't, you know, making fun of it. I mean, every time somebody tries to make fun of English Gothic, it just comes off as kind of contrived. He's not doing that. I mean, he, there, there's so many elements, so many things that I recognized as he was filming and I'm just sitting there with this huge grin on my face because I'm like, man, this is great. You know, it's it, it's true English Gothic or true South Texas Gothic, I guess. <laughs> I guess is the best way to call it. <laughs> and yeah, like like I said before, you have all these people in the entertainment industry who, if you mention Hammer to them, they'll say, oh, I love those type of movies and blah, blah, blah. And, and yet here's this young man in Texas, and he did something. So that that's why I'm humbled and appreciative that he invited me and, and Mark Holmes down there. You know, he didn't have to do that. I, I didn't tell him, hey, you know, I, I want to, you know, yeah, did I want to be in it? Yeah, but I mean, I didn't, you know, demand it or anything. I mean, yeah, I was more worried about not getting in anybody's way and not screwing things up, but um, <laughs> to be part of all of that. And and I, I think one of the reasons he invited me down was obviously, you know, these films mean so much to me. But I think the other thing is he, I think he understood I probably would know how to behave. Because once again, you, you, you can't be all fanboy in that situation. And part of it, again, I, I've not met Carolina Martin, but Veronica puts you immediately at ease. You know, yeah. you know she, she, she knows who she is. 
and she goes out of her way, I feel like, to make you feel like you're not in the way, that you're not bothering her. And that's amazing. They were all like that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Caroline Martine, you know, like I said, the, when I got there Tuesday morning and then Josh goes, well, all the ladies in the makeup room. And, you know, I go in the makeup room, they all give me a hug. Oh, darling, how good it is to see you. <laughs> you know, I they know who they are, but at the same time, like like I said, there's no condescension, there's no patronizing attitude. All these ladies have done incredible things. I mean, not just work with Cushing and Lee. I mean, you know, Caroline and Martine with the Bond films, and, and Veronica was, I, I think she's on episode of The Saint, and Christopher Neem has, has done not just Hammer work. I mean, he's been in, like, in all these like American television shows. that you, They have these incredible careers, and there was absolutely no sense of any of them being, you know, well, I am this person or I am an actor. There, there, was, there was nothing like that at all. And that definitely helped out Josh as well. Because, I mean, you can imagine if anybody had behaved badly or if there had been any kind of incidents, how that would have just totally devastated Josh and what he was trying to do. But that, that didn't happen. How many scenes are you in? Do you know? I would say at least three. Okay. There's there's one scene I'm standing next to Christopher Neem. That that train sequence, train station sequence. I mean, I'm so far back in the shot, you may not even see me. I mean, that's you know, I'm just here to make it look like there's there's people at the train station. The tavern sequence. I have that that little scene with Veronica, and I'm also sitting among the other villagers. And when they hear that strangers are coming to town, we all kind of like turn around. We all stop what we're doing. You know that famous. It's been in so many Hammer films where all the, the villagers put their drinks down and, and give each other worried looks, and they look over at the door as the door <laughs> opens. That that type of Hammer-esque element, every one of these scenes is, is, is going to be familiar to Hammer fans, and I hope people don't think, oh, well, he's just ripping off these movies. No, no. It, it's in the same tradition of these films. I don't think anybody, after having chatted with Joshua or seen any of his movies, would, would walk away from that. And I feel like there's a tendency. There, there's two ways you can go. Uh, you can make fun of these movies when you make a film. Yeah. You can spoof them mm-hmm. uh, and 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 have some mean spirited laughs towards them, or even if it's not mean spirited, yeah. just man. And I, I hate to assign this to people that I've not met, but there are people out there who make movies in this vein, whether it's a send up of a fifties movie mm-hmm. or a Hammer film or something like that, and they spoof it and they make fun of it and and that sort of thing. And you can tell that the the people that do that have never seen any of these movies. They're, they're just in their own minds. Mm-hmm. They think that's what these movies are supposed to be. I mean, there, there's a way to spoof Hammer films. I think uh, Josh could definitely do it if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would. I don't think that's his approach. But I mean, you, you could do it in a very knowledgeable way. But yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's uh, whenever you talk about uh, a so-called civilian, <laughs> you know, somebody who's not like a real f- a big film buff who don't who doesn't get into these these types of films, whether it be Universal, Hammer, whatever. You, you mentioned these films. It's like when I got back to Indiana, I was telling people at work or telling people at New, I was trying to, you know, describe to them the experience and. And, you know, the first thing I do is, well, do you know anything about classic horror films? And they're like, oh, you mean like the, the Black Lagoon mummies type of stuff? And, and then it's like, uh, you know, I, I there's no point in me really explaining to you what went on. <laughs> so you, you can go that route or you can be totally respectful to the source material like like uh-huh. Kennedy, uh, like a Christopher Mim, uh, like people like that. And. You know, this isn't about nerd shaming. This isn't about, well, these people don't get it. They're not true fans. But when you watch uh, like a Kennedy film or a Mem film, you know 
they're coming from a place of utter respect. And if they could, you know, they'd hop in a time machine in a minute and go back to mm-hmm. like with Kennedy, go back to the sixties and find a way to work on an honest to God hammer film. He would do that in a, in a heartbeat. Well, he can't. So he makes his own now. <laughs> Some of the things he did and Josh did during the shoots, it's basically low budget mm-hmm. filmmaking. I mean, it's really not that far off from what, you know, if you watch a hammer film and somebody opens a door and they act like they're going outside and you, and you see like, like a tree limb, you know, going past the door, that's probably literally a plant that just is just sitting there and there's a screen in the background, make it look like it's outside. I mean, basically Josh was doing the same thing. You know, a lot of people, when it comes to low-budget filmmaking these days, it, it used to be, and not that far away, I mean, back in the 1980s, it used to be low-budget filmmaking was accepted. And now, if you don't spend $200 million, and if it isn't a superhero movie, people automatically think, oh, you know, it's it's you know, it's it's not worthy. And, and, and that's kind of sad that, that basically low-budget filmmaking is, is almost, I mean, it's either home video now or, or YouTube, and, and that, that's great because it allows people... It gives people a space to be creative, but I, I think there's something lost when everybody assumes that a movie, quote unquote, has to be in the theater and it has to have like a $250 million budget. Yeah. And I've said this before, you know, I used to think I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up. And I, and I, saw that, I know I say that a lot, but what appealed to me about the genre film was that at that time, you know, and I grew up in the you know 80s as well, and when I was coming up and, and when I thought I was going to make movies and, and running around town with my video cameras and crash editing stuff at home and that sort of thing, yeah. you know, back then, the low-budget stuff did have open arms. It was a lot more accepted. These days, you don't see a lot of the low-budget movies actually getting wide distribution. Fortunately, we have outlets like YouTube, Vimeo, online distribution, yeah. companies like Alpha Video. You know, there, there are places out there that you can get your work out there and seen now, but there still is uh-huh. kind of a, you know, it, it's it's a catch me too. It, it's, it's wonderful that genre film is more accepted by the mainstream. It's great that a monster movie yeah. did so well at the Oscars this year, but it does kind of put up these walls, these barriers that now when people look at genre films, they expect it to be this high budget glossy affair. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's the key word mainstream. Yeah. It's almost, how, how can I best express this? It's almost like you find out somebody's interested in your girlfriend, you know, it's like <laughs> you, you think, Oh, this, this, you know, I'm the only, I'm the only person that loves this woman. And then, and then you wake up one day and you realize, well, everybody thinks my girlfriend's attractive. You know, that's kind of like how sometimes you, you feel when, when you have people, you know, that, or like somebody you know that isn't a film buff all of a sudden talks about, I saw this movie, and I saw The Shape of Water, and I saw this, and this, or, or The Walking Dead. I mean, that my, my brother is a huge Walking Dead fan, and he, and he would never watch a classic horror film on his own, but yet, you know, he's watching The Walking Dead. And that kind of mainstreaming almost kind of takes away the creativity that, that low-budget filmmaking had, because I think that's where what, what made Hammer and American International and those types of films why they they last so long and why they they still have this presence is because that low budget filmmaking they were able to maybe do things and maybe be a bit more creative than a mainstream film would. Yeah, it's and again I I feel like we're walking the line here. This isn't about nerd shaming people who aren't fan no, of no, it's not no, like that no. at all. Um, but but there is a difference yeah. and and I feel like if you are a fan of anything remotely related to Hammer, 
you're going to find a lot to love in what Kennedy is doing, and not just with this movie. Obviously, House of the Gorgon is the one we're all looking forward to, but check out his Dracula film. Check out some of his other work, because you're going to see those influences there. And Night of the Medusa. Oh, Night yeah. of the Medusa is, is, is not English Gothic. It's, it's contemporary American, and it's dealing with young people. But, I mean, still, it, it's very much in that type of tradition. Night of the Medusa, I, I, I think House of the Gorgon will probably be his best film. I, I don't think that's a stretch when, when it finally, he finally puts it all together. That's going to be his number one film. And the- Theseus was great. But Night of the Medusa, I honestly think, was probably, is probably his best overall film mm-hmm. because of the main character and, and how she was portrayed. It's basically, you know, the typical outsider monster tale. And you can take that tale and you can do all sorts of variations on it. And that's what Josh did. And then once again, that shows his, you know, his creativity. He's not just stuck in, you know, the one mode. There's there's a lot more to his work than I think people realize because he's dealt with all sorts of different genres. I mean, you know, once again, look at Theseus. I mean, it's, it's a Harryhausen type sword and sandal type of mm-hmm. film. And once again, you know, he filmed it in Texas. And he pulled it off, so. It's, it's pretty amazing. When you look back at what happened to you while you were making this uh-huh. movie, what are some of the things you take away from that that you've been dying to talk to people about, but like you said, you know, your day job or your real life is like, oh, well, that's nice, whatever, you didn't get paid? Like, what, what are some things that you've been dying to geek out about here? Well, I, I think I've gone through all over the major, just the overall experience. I mean, one, once again, I'm sitting in my house talking to you on the phone. And literally everywhere I walk around in my house, I'm standing next to my record player right now. And what is on the top of the pile? Hammer Horror, classic themes, 1958, <laughs> 1974 on vinyl. You know, I'm, I'm walking around. I've, I've got bust of Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. And, and I'm walking by my Blu-ray section. And, of course, you know, all these Hammer films. You know, I've got all these books on Hammer, and, and I, I was there, okay? I was there with Caroline Monroe and Martine Beswick and Veronica Carlson, and I'm on a first-name basis with these people. And once again, I'm not, I'm not trying to brag. It was almost like it was, it was, almost like, it was like natural. It was almost like it was, it was meant to be. It was like I've been preparing my whole life for this, you know? You know, when you're sitting there and you're having lunch with Veronica Carlson, you could either just like, oh, my God, I'm having lunch, or you can accept it and, and deal with her on, on just a regular human level. And then we, we almost never discussed Hammer films or anything about her career. We discussed, you know, ordinary, everyday things. And, and, and that in and of itself, you go back home and you, you know, you pull out a book and you see all these incredible publicity photos of Veronica Carlson. And then you realize, you know, you, you were having like regular conversations with her like you would you know somebody you knew back in indiana i mean that that just you know it's it's like geez you know did that, <laughs> once again did it actually happen it, it makes you realize that all the things you get into there's a reason for it and it's it's not you're just a nerd or you're a weirdo or you're an outsider there's a legitimate reason to be involved in this it inspires you as a person and it inspires you to be creative once again, I'm, try- I'm trying to articulate it, but if you are a Hammer fan, I mean, I-, I think just, I think anybody would understand how I felt just, just being there those four days. I, I think that that's a great way to, to kind of wrap this up and end this. They are so gracious and, and, you yeah. know, and when you were saying earlier, you know, they were treating you like this, this big deal, but they do that. They, when you meet Veronica at a convention, uh-huh. when I did, uh, you know, I interacted with her a couple of times. Uh, you know, the first time was like, oh, hi, Miss Miss Carlson. I'm a big fan, blah, 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 blah. But the next day, she gave me a big hug. 
you know, she just, it was was great, you know, and just to imagine being on set, watching these icons do what they do and and just to be around that and then see, uh, I'm not going to say up and coming because he's been doing it for years, but a growing, developing filmmaker like Joshua, uh, just doing what he's doing Man, I, I want to thank you, man, for being there for all of us because I know he's busy. I know he needed to take some time to kind of recharge. And you yeah. know, if you go look him up on IMDb right now on the internet right now, this isn't the only movie he's in post production on. Joshua doesn't know how to stop. No, no, he, you know he's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know what? I didn't like. I said I didn't really get a chance to like hang out with him like I do when I'm at Monster Bash because you know he's he's making the movie, you know, and uh, yeah, he's got that other movie. Um, the- which he, which he didn't even I I was going to ask him about it and of course I didn't get a chance to because he's worried about House of the Gorgon but he he was making something like literally while he was planning to make House of the Gorgon it it doesn't stop mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think he can I don't I don't think he wants to he's just in that mode where something comes up and he, he just has to go out and do it but you know it, it inspires you. I mean, I, I've got, you know, the movie blog, which isn't anything comparable to what Josh is doing, but that type of stuff, you know, whatever monster kids do, and I think most monster kids are creative. There's that creative bent in all of us. Mm-hmm. What more could you say, you know? Dan, you are welcome here on Monster Kid Radio anytime, even though it took <laughs> us several weeks to find a way to make it happen schedule-wise. Um. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I apologize if you felt I was like, like bugging oh, absolutely you. Absolutely not. It. I, I absolutely just, not. Know. No, I, you know, we all have day jobs, you know, we're all, we're all kind of working yeah, yeah. And, and have other responsibilities and, you know, you've got your day job and your life. I've got all my health stuff and my job and everything. So I totally get it. Uh, so I appreciate you uh, sitting on these stories long enough so that we could get them here on the show. I'll be telling these stories for the rest of my life. <laughs> Don't look. Shield your eyes. <laughs> For on the day you look upon them, you will surely die. House of the Gorgon. Why don't you let us alone? Get back on your train and leave us alone. Rumors circling around. Uh, mysterious happenings at night. Uh, Strange noises emanating from the dark. Leave Karlstad. Leave now and never come back. Stay away from them. They mean you great harm. Starring Caroline Monroe as the Baroness. What was the sinister secret she hid beneath her dark spectacles? Martine Beswick as her sister Uriel, malevolent and evil. You would sacrifice all that we've done merely to quench your innate desire oh, for violence. Oh, what if I did? Veronica Carlson as Anna, the one woman in the village of Karlstadt willing to stand against these angels of death. I can fight you. We can fight you. Christopher Neem as Llewellyn, a man of faith. Locked in mortal combat with overwhelming evil. If we leave them alone, maybe they'll leave us alone. Also starring Joshua Kennedy as the mysterious Dr. Pritchard. And introducing Georgina Dugdale, Gooey Film's latest star discovery. 
the Gorgon's most beautiful victim. See all of this and more when you visit the House of the Gorgon. Cast you out! Every unclean spirit, every satanic power, in the name and by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ! Absolute in terror from the Shockmasters. Together in the same double shock show, Frankenstein created woman and the mummy shroud in dripping, dripping color. If you think all vampires are ugly creatures of the night, then you are in for a shattering surprise. Lust for a vampire. Disciples of the Black Mass. Devils in female bodies which embraces the kiss of death for man or woman. Lust for a Vampire. Released by American Continental Films in color. Rated R. Three animated TV series, three animated feature films, over 50 years of stories, over 150 characters, 10 core comic book titles, 27 spin-off comic book titles, nearly 30 limited series spin-offs, and of course, four feature films. Well, okay, five if you count Captain America Civil War, or maybe it's like four and a half. The Avengers are a Marvel Comics mainstay, and no matter how many films crush it at the box office, or how many more Avengers spin-off titles come out, it all comes back to that original comic series that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby thrust upon the world in 1963 and I'm going to read the entire run. My name is Derek M. Cook, and I'm a recovering comic book fan. Over on my YouTube channel, Comicstalgia, you can join me as I make my way through the comic with my Reading the Avengers YouTube series. Every episode, I'll take a look at an issue of the comic, share my thoughts about the story, its artwork and characters, and reflect on how the issue may have impacted or inspired other facets and corners of all things Marvel. I'd like to invite you to join me as I make my way through every single issue of this iconic comic book. Assemble with me at tinyurl.com slash reading the Avengers or look up Comicstalgia on YouTube where you can find all the previous episodes and even subscribe to make sure you don't miss anything while we're reading the Avengers. That's tinyurl.com slash reading the Avengers. Nuff said. Listen to the flight of the vampire bat summoned from Hades to kill, to destroy. See Kiss of the Vampire in color. Hark, a film of tender love and the screams of vampire death. Now there's a powerful motion picture that rips at your emotions. The Vampire Lovers. It brings you beautiful love and vampire evil, and it'll drive your mind through a thousand terror-filled moments you'll hear whispers of warm desire become shrieks of chilling death. You'll taste the deadly passion of the vampire lovers and become a slave of the damned. You'll discover the sweet embrace and the deadly kiss of blood nymphs who refuse to die. The Vampire Lovers. It's in color 
and it had to be rated R. Under 17 must be accompanied by a parent or adult guardian. Don't miss The Vampire Lovers. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Big thanks to everybody who was part of the show this time around. Dan, Kenny, Jerry, you guys are awesome. I can't wait to meet two of the three of you again in person at the Monster Bash. And the other person who won't be at Monster Bash, one of these days, I'd love to meet you too. Speaking of Monster Bash, this episode is going out the evening that I am, well, pulling an all-nighter, packing everything up, and getting ready to get on an airplane early, early tomorrow morning so that I'm in Mars, Pennsylvania in time for everything to start. So if you're going to be at the Monster Bash conference in Mars, Pennsylvania this weekend, I would love to meet you. Monster Kid Radio will have a table. I will be set up. You will not be able to get into the convention without at least seeing me. So please, introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you, and just, I love interacting with the listeners. Plus, Dominique Lamsey's will have some of her wares there for sale, and Tracy Morris will have some of her wares there for sale as well. And when I say wares, I mean their, their merchandise, their products. Dominique and, and Tracy are crafters. They make some really cool stuff. I'm not talking about, like, wear wolves, although it is Monster Kid Radio's table. It would be kind of appropriate to have a couple of wear, werewolves. I'm going to get in the weeds here. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for being part of the show and listening to the show. If you like what you hear, please spread the word. Let people know about it. Give us a like on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. There are links to that over on our website. We also have a Twitter, so feel free to retweet the tweets. Just let everybody know. And I don't know if iTunes still takes reviews or anything like that, but wherever you listen to your podcast, please consider giving us an honest review. We would love to have more Monster Kids as part of our tribe because, again, like I said earlier, the more, the merrier. MonsterKidRadio.net is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio, including our contact information. You can always send us an email at MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. And I'm always collecting voicemails for future episodes, feedback episodes with my wife, Brenda, of Monster Kid Radio. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MK. Are. I do want to just send a quick shout out to Captain Billy. I did get your voicemails, man. I really appreciate you and I appreciate your support. Appreciate everything that you had to say, man. It, 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 it really helped me out. I mean, it, it really kind of hit home. So thank you, Captain Billy. You're awesome. Of course, there will be links to the Rally Awards ballot as well. Professor Frenzy site, basically anything that you hear in this episode of the show, you're going to find on our website next week. I can't not talk about Monster Bash. I've been talking about getting ready for Monster Bash. Well, next week, you're going to get me talk about well, what happened at Monster Bash. The first part of our Monster Bash coverage will happen next week. So stay tuned. And if you listen to previous year's coverage of Monster Bash, you know that it's just a smorgasbord of monster kids coming together, talking about their favorite monster movies. I'm going to try to get as many interviews as I can. I'm going to be playing the Classic Five with anybody and everybody who stops by the table. May even be some After Hours Classic Five action as well. I think we did that last year too. There's just going to be a lot of bash coverage. Plus, follow along over on YouTube, the Monster Kid Radio on YouTube, YouTube channel. You can find me there as well. I will try to post some videos there over the weekend. And then, of course, any videos that I shoot at Monster Bash that I edit later will end up there as well. In fact, over on the YouTube channel, well, there's a car outside. Don't you know I'm recording a very important podcast here, ladies and gentlemen? Anyway, if you head over to the YouTube channel, if you haven't already seen it, I did finally post a video showing some of the footage that was captured at last year's Monster Bash. 
basically it's a video about me winning and accepting the Fori award so please feel free to head over there and check that out give it a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel please maybe even click on the bell for notifications so that you get updated every time there's a new episode of the monster kid radio on youtube youtube channel channel i really do need to come up with a better name for that don't i also, big thanks to Don Nadio y Los Otros for letting us play their song Zombie Surf in this episode of the podcast. Really appreciate them. Please check them out at donnadioylosotros.bandcamp.com or again, follow the link in the show notes or find them on Facebook. They're there as well. That's actually how I communicated with them when I reached out to them about playing their music here on the show. Thanks again for listening. I have some packing to do to get ready for Monster Bash. So I'm out of here. I'll talk to everybody next time. My name is Derek M. Cook. And I am Monster Bash Bound. Ciao.